Hello. I feel like I should have worn my Christmas jumper, but I was just informing people earlier that I sold it at a car boot sale in the summer for a quid. I was really, it was horrible. It was one of these Christmas jumpers. I mean, they're all, sorry, I was going to say they're all horrible. They're not. Yours is lovely, Paul. No, yours is lovely, mate. But mine was this elf thing. I think my family bought it. I can't remember who bought it for me. Um, but anyway, it was horrible. Uh, so I was glad to get rid of it. Do, do you all own Christmas jumpers? Has everyone got a Christmas jumper? No? Who hasn't got a Christmas jumper? Put your hands up. Okay, we're all right. I feel all right now then. I feel okay. Okay, brilliant. Right, well, um, we are cutting into the Thessalonians series, and I'm going to do like a one-off thing from um, uh, Nehemiah, book in the Old Testament. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to it. And Nehemiah chapter 10, if you're new to the Bible, it's kind of um, uh, before Psalms, um, which is kind of smack bang in the middle of the Bible, really. And um, you'll find it there. And uh, we'll focus on that in a minute. I want to talk about commitment. And um, I don't know what you think when you hear that word, commitment. How does it make you feel? Um, some of you may be aware, because I've said it many, many times, this, um, that, that when I think of the word commitment, I think of my good friend Graham Hall, who's a leader of a church down in Kent, Ashford, who was here in Norwich. And when I was a, a 20-something-year-old Christian, as in 20 years old, hadn't been a Christian that long, um, quite a new Christian, and he just said to me one day, he said, Toby, you know your problem. And I was like, no, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. <laughs> he said, you can't commit. He loves me, he knows me. Um, and while I probably got a bit kind of offended at the time, uh, he was absolutely on the money in terms of what he said. I couldn't really, I didn't really understand what it meant to commit to something. And um, so, yeah, and when I think of, the, I don't know, films like this that comes to mind as well, it's the second thing that kind of comes to mind when I think of commitment and committing is the um, Eddie the Eagle film. I can't remember what it's called. Um, is it called Eddie the Eagle? Is that what it's called? Anyway, the film about his life, he was like the um, ski jumper, um, Olympic, um, first one in I don't know how many, many years, you know, whatever, and so on. And just as you go through that film, you see the commitment of the guy in face of discouragement, in, in face of opposition, in face of ridicule, in face of people saying to him, you can't do this, you're never going to make it. Every kind of form of opposition. His dad was sceptical, highly sceptical of him. And so I get a proper job, son, you know, plastering, which is a real skill. I've got huge respect because I've tried it and I can't plaster for the life of me. But, you know, it was like he faced every opposition, but he just kept going. He kept going. He kept going. There was this incredible commitment there. Now, I guess is it a good thing, commitment? Well, it depends what you're committed to, really, doesn't it? Um, and we're going to, like I said, go to Nehemiah. And um, both Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books in the Old Testament, they really stand together and tell the story of God's people, Israel, who had been in exile. They were, they'd been in the promised land, then they're exiled out of the promised land, and then God calls them back into Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem. And so the book of Nehemiah is about that, this guy Nehemiah getting the call of God on his life and committing to going back to Jerusalem, to being part of rebuilding the wall that had fallen down. And if you have walls that have fallen down in a city in those days, um, it kind of was a picture of disgrace, really. It's a place where your defenses are down, you're, you're vulnerable to things. And Jerusalem was not in a good place, and that's a good picture of the people of God at the time as well. So Nehemiah comes back in to restore these walls. And chapter 6 of Nehemiah, the wall's completed. Chapter 7, they take this um, census of all the people, kind of listing the names 
of people that have returned. And then chapter 8, they're talking about restoring God's identity to them. It talks about uh, uh, the law of God is, is read out. And then there's joy. That's, that's where we get that um, scripture, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is there, and it's, it's a result of listening to God's word and God's truth and the way that God wants us to live and imbibing that as a community. And then in chapter 9, you have this kind of repetition of their story, their history, and, it, and it's not all good news either. A lot of it is their failure, and yet God's utter faithfulness towards them. And so Nehemiah comes back in the face of opposition, discouragement, ridicule, and so on, to commit himself and to draw others in to rebuilding this wall of Jerusalem. So in chapter 10, and actually I'm just going to read one little verse from chapter 9 to start off with. We'll kind of pick through some bits in chapter 10 in a minute, but chapter 9, verse 38, says this. Now, because of all of this, all of what I've just now said, because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing, or we're making a binding agreement. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And it's just that phrase there, we are making a binding agreement, a commitment. It's not like, a, hey, look, we're going to kind of see how it goes, and then we'll kind of, you know, hedge our bets a little bit. We are kind of saying that we are all in here. We're making a commitment to all that God has called us to, to follow him, to live by what he says. Not a loose promise, not a vague belief, not a half-hearted commitment. It's saying our entire lives are going to be shaped around who God is and what God has done and what God has called us to. And so they say we're going to write this down. And I don't know if you ever do that. I did read somewhere once that you're, I can't remember how many times more likely, whether it's four times or like 400 times. Obviously, there's a big difference between the two. (laughs) But you're more likely anyway to do something if you write it down. And that's not just because as you get older, you forget things, um, and you have to write more things down. But there's something about committing something to writing. There's something about, I I think what writing does is is it forces you to think through what you really think. Actually, when you've got to put something into words, you're like, well, do I really believe that? Do I really want that? When you see it there, it's like when you say something out loud, it's easy to think something, but when you say it, it has a different effect. And so there's a saying it, and then there's a writing it down, there's a committing to it. And I want to give just four things that this commitment, what commitment is, and we can draw out from this chapter 10 here. The first thing is, is the, our commitment to follow, to follow Jesus, is a response to revelation. Because the whole Old Testament points us to Jesus, so we get to Christ. It's a response to revelation when we commit to following Jesus. Now, I'm sure you know that, that revelation is, a, is an absolutely legitimate way of coming to understand truth. Sometimes people say, oh, you can't possibly believe that about the Bible and who God is. Well, Jesus, it said, is the revelation of God. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And revelation, there, there are some things, and I'm aware that you probably know this, but there are some things that you can know about me through research, through talking to other people, through my family and whatever else. But there's other things you will never, ever, 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 ever know about me unless I choose to reveal them to you. Simple as. Revelation is a legitimate way of coming to understand truth. Of course, we test that claim. We reason it. We go, hang on, how do I know that's true, what you've just told me? But Jesus is the revelation of God to us. And it was their revelation, both of their failure to follow, as I said, and God's faithfulness to them. 
In nine, chapter 9, verse 28, it says that they cried out to you again, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Do you love that? Not just once, not like one strike and you're out, not like, yeah, you failed and that's it, gone. You delivered them time after time. The, the, the story of the Old Testament really is this story of God as the, this imagery of husband and Israel, the wife, and God's pursuing them and going after them time and time again. That is God's picture. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. When Jesus talks about the father in the story of the prodigal, he, he talks about the father saying he's filled with compassion and he comes after He runs to the prodigal son who comes home in all his mess. That's the picture of the New Testament. Our commitment to follow Jesus is not based upon our performance. It's not based upon uh, how clever we are, how good we are, or anything like that. It's got to be on a foundation of grace, of God's love towards us first, that he has made the first move to us. It's got to be based on everything that Jesus has done and nothing that I have done to contribute to that. Because if it isn't based on grace, if our commitment is somehow, if, if we're serving or giving or doing anything and a different motivation is driving us other than the grace of God, so it, maybe you might be a bit of a people pleaser. Maybe you want to appear better than you really are. Maybe um, you think that actually God is not going to accept you unless you're a really, really good Christian. And by a really good Christian, you mean, well, you turn up to church every week and you read your Bible every day. And if I do these things, then God will really, really love me. And, and, and it can be very subtle as well, these things as well. Even when we, so when we sin, you know, when we do mess up, even if it doesn't mean we're pursuing willful things, but even when we do mess up, how quickly do we get back on track again? How quickly do we think, actually, no, God is head over heels in love with me? Totally and utterly. Or how much do we maybe wallow in a bit of self-pity or a bit of guilt? Or feel bad about ourselves for a little while, something like that? It's not living in grace. Now, but like Paul says in Romans 6, he says, you know, the grace of God doesn't mean we can say, well, I can do what I want, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. But actually, grace changes us from the inside out that actually when I mess up, I haven't got to wait five days, five hours, five minutes, or five seconds. Actually, I don't need to beat myself up because Jesus was beaten for me. That's grace. And so when we start serving, everything needs to continually flow from that place. Otherwise, I tell you, it goes a drudgery to commit to God's ways if it's not rooted in the grace of God in Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. I'm sure you've heard this quote. We try to live so that God will love us rather than living because we're already loved. We try to live so God will love us rather than living because we're already loved. Which way round are you at the minute? We try to serve to make God love us rather than serving because we're already loved. We, you know, make, put whatever you want in that. It's the grace of God. A commitment to follow is a response to the revelation of the grace of God. Keep rooted in that. Second thing is this. Our commitment to follow is done together. It says that we are making a binding commitment, not I. I was so pleased, actually, Eve, um, changed that last song in the words there. You sung we at one point instead of I. Really good. There's a lot of songs with I in, aren't there? But I'm glad we sang another song there with we in as well. We are, our God, together. There's something about together in community. When you read in chapter 10, 
And you come to verse 28. It says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who had knowledge and understanding are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles. You get the kind of picture. These are loads of people together saying, Hey, we're in this together. And yet we know that individualism, hyper-individualism, is so, it, it's, it's a, a, a rampant force in our culture that we are affected by. There is no question about it. And it can filter into our lives as Christians as well. Um, maybe you've read the book Selfie by Will Storr, just an outstanding book. And he quotes Ayn Rand, who's an objectivist philosopher um, um, from the sort of early uh, 1900s. And um, but hugely influential on our culture today. You know, 100 years on or so, and yet what she said back then and what she taught back then has filtered down into, into our universities and through those sort of systems and so on and into popular culture, into music and blah, 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 blah. And finally, it is embedded in our culture. And she said this in 1931. I am done with the monster of we, the word of serfdom, of plunder, of misery, falsehood, and shame. And now I see the face of God, and I raise this God over the earth, this God who men have sought since men came into being, this God who will grant them joy, peace, and pride. This God, this one word, I. A God that will grant you joy and peace. This is, just, yeah, this is a worldly gospel. This is meant to be good news to people. You want joy? You want peace? Hey, focus on I. Later on in the book, he quotes her again and says that, she says, the highest moral purpose is pursuit of our own selfish happiness. Listen to that again. The highest moral purpose is pursuit of our own selfish happiness. Now, what happens if we compare those words to what Jesus said? When he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, you know, follow me, they don't exactly sit well together, do they? The world says, follow your heart. Jesus says, follow me. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, be true to yourself. And Jesus says, be true to me. We cannot do this on our own. Trying to live this out in the world on our own is it's horrible. We're called into community. Romans 12 verse 5 says, So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. Think about that for a minute. Have a little look around. Each member belongs to the other. You don't want to look around because it feels like weird, doesn't it? Everyone looking around at people. I know, I get it. I do get it. Don't get me wrong. It does feel weird, but the Bible says that this is the church. You actually belong to one another. You don't just attend some meetings together. I know you know this, but you know, it's deeper than that. That's why I think that, 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 that um, uh, Peter, when he writes, and Paul in Thessalonians as well, is they do not tire of saying the same thing when it comes to love one another. If you read through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and there you go, it's my reference to Thessalonians, is that it's in the first letter of Thessalonians, Paul talks about, hey, 
you're loving one another, that's great. Do it more and more. Second Thessalonians, do it more and more, more and more, more and more. Love one another, love one another. Why? Because it is the ultimate hallmark of the local church, actually. And the fact that we're disciples of Jesus is our deep love and commitment to one another. And it's something I believe with all my heart that we've just got to keep leaning into and working out what does it mean to love today. Lord, help me this morning. Whatever happens today above everything else, help me with every single person I come across today to know what it means to love them wherever I find myself. What does kindness look like? What does patience look like? What does selflessness look like? What does not getting easily wound up by some people today look like? That's love. And we know that's the call of God on our lives, and it's our call together, and it is done together. That's why we commit to gathering together in these contexts, but in life groups and in other settings as well, because we need each other. It's we, not I. Together we are making the commitment. So the commitment to follow Jesus is done together with others in deep community. Second thing is this, third thing rather, our commitment to follow affects our daily lives. Again, when you read verse 30 here, it says, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we'll not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We'll forego the crops, the seventh year, that means resting the land, and the exaction of every debt. We also place ourselves under obligation, there's that commitment again, to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the continual grain offering, and so on and so on. Likewise, verse 34, we cast lots for the supply of wood and other things like that. There is this commitment that affected their daily lives. And when you read through this, you see things of their personal lives, their, how they treated the world, the work that they did. And there, there is a... There is a huge temptation to be pressed into the mold of the world, to conform to the way that the world is in different ways. And the Israelites, as they came back into the land, um, they, were, they were kind of a minority, they were surrounded by other cultures, and uh, it wasn't easy. <laughs> There's huge pressure from different places. There's a, a pressure to conform, but also maybe to water down their faith, which would reduce their witness and their effectiveness in the world. And like I said, their personal lives talks about, we're not going to give our daughters in marriage and things like that. There's a commitment in their kind of relationships. There's commitments in how they treated the world, like I said, the land. Imagine these traders coming in as well um, from other nations. It's the Sabbath, it's Saturday, it's kind of the holy day, no work will be done. Imagine that you're under pressure to feed your family as well. Things are tight. And then these traders come in, offering to give you money for what you've got to sell. And then in that culture, saying, no, 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 I'm not going to. I'm going to trust God, actually. I'm not going to give in to that pressure. Yet, on a rational basis, like, this makes sense. I could do with the money. It'd be really helpful. But I'm going to take a stand. Imagine living under that. That's what they are saying in their commitment here. It affected the way that they lived, the way they worked. Their commitment to the temple as well. It says they gave into that, our giving, our serving. Every area of our lives is affected. There's huge pressures from the world to conform. into Whether it's in terms of sexuality, that's a big one at the moment, isn't it? In terms of what the world was saying, what people are saying. Maybe standing up for integrity in the workplace. 
but everyone's doing it. Doesn't mean we do. Doesn't mean we have to conform. It does mean standing up sometimes and saying, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. Or, no, I do believe this, actually. Or, no, I do think that's the right thing, actually. Whether it's in school or university, wherever we find ourselves, the commitment to follow affected their daily lives. Romans 12 talks about that, doesn't it? Offering our whole bodies as worship to God, everything we have. It's our minds, our thinking, our physical bodies, our emotions, everything we have, everything we own, and living in a way that doesn't conform with the world that affects our lives. So our commitment to follow is a response to revelation. Our commitment to follow is done together with others. Our commitment to follow affects our daily lives and daily living. And then finally, our commitment means taking responsibility. Again, what do you think about the word responsibility? Who loves responsibility? <laughs> Sam. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, I, you know, I, I think we are meant to actually like responsibility because you've got Genesis, Genesis before the fall, before all went wrong. What were, they, what were Adam and Eve given? Responsibility, weren't they? Hey, do this, rule over, subdue. It's actually part of being human and having the image of God in us is to be responsible people and to carry responsibility. And for them, they're saying that here in verse 32, where it says, I think I read it out a minute ago, we placed ourselves under obligation. That's saying we are taking responsibility. And the local church, it's not just about elders being responsible. Great, well, they're responsible for the church and the health of the church and the way everything goes. Great, well, you, that, you leaders, you sort it out. No, no, we are responsible. We are and it's really important we get that. And there's a, a wonderful quote, um, if you can bring that quote up here. Again, you may have come across this before, but I think it puts it so well. Um, it says this. Is it there? Yeah, here we go. A disciple is someone who has moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. A disciple is someone who's moved from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. I think that's a good way of putting it. What it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is we're the church, we're the family of God. And we commit to one another. We take this responsibility together. But we must make sure we're doing it from a place of grace. Again, we come back to point one. Always stay rooted in the grace of God. To take on responsibility as we walk together, commit to one another, as it affects our daily living. This is what commitment really, really looks like. And just to say this as well, I just felt to, the commitment together is a commitment to help each other when we go through difficult seasons, isn't it, as well? Because we don't find it easy. When we struggle in life, and not just when we have struggles in life, but when we struggle with our faith as well. You know, each one of us might have those kinds of struggles. We might express doubts sometimes in our lives. We might go through seasons like that. And it's so important that we have the China church culture where the, we can get alongside one, one another in those seasons and grapple with the questions that we have. I love it in, um, oh, where is it? I've forgotten, the, the, the book is in now. Have mercy on those who doubt. Just love that verse. Have mercy on them. 
You know, it's not about giving pat answers and whatever else, but I just felt this morning, I don't know whether with yourself or whether you know someone at the minute is going through stuff like that, 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 that it's that, that going through these things together, this commitment to follow together, actually sometimes means going through these seasons where it's not all going well or where we are struggling with our faith. Um, and if you're interested in, I just felt to recommend this a superb book, After Doubt, How to Question Your Faith Without Losing It. I think this is really key for those in their sort of 20s, actually. And, um, you know, we're surrounded by kind of deconstructionism, all these other things saying, oh, let's just pull it all apart and whatever else. But the question is, what are we building? It's good to grapple with faith. It's really, really important that we ask the questions. But I'd highly recommend that if you or someone you know as well might be going through stuff like that. Anyway, I just felt to share that specifically. Anyway, shall we pray? Shall we stand? Um, And um, Ben can come back up. Even Ed, that'd be come. Excellent. Let's just pray for a minute, shall we? And said a lot, and I just want to pray really the Holy Spirit would land whatever it is for you in your life in a way that it would produce fruit from beyond now. That's what I want to pray. And so, Father, we. We stand before you, I guess, together, Lord, and you know each one of us intimately. You know each one of us. And, Lord, you know what a commitment to follow you looks like in our lives, what, how it's applied um, for us in this coming week, Lord, as we follow you, Jesus, that to live the way you called, that to live the way that you've You've said, Jesus, and I thank you so much that you don't call us to live this way and say, right, now try really, really hard on your own, you know, through clenched fists and gritted teeth, through pulling your socks up every day and trying really hard. You can do it. Come on. I thank you. You're not cheering us on from the sidelines, but your promise is that you'll be with us and that your grace is sufficient to us and it is empowering to us as well to live how you've called And I pray that, Father, in our commitment to following you, in our commitment to one another. I know I can't do it. I I cannot do this deal, Lord, without you. And I I pray, Father, the the first base of commitment is knowing and living in the good of your commitment and your faithfulness to us. And I pray, Father, that more than anything else, Lord, as we seek to live this out in the world, that you would deepen that, that knowledge and understanding of the grace of God for us. <laughs> that we only love because you first loved us. He who has been forgiven much, forgives. <laughs> Lord, thank you, it's that way round. Thank you, we're not trying to work something up from within ourselves, but you've poured your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what your word says. And I pray for each one of us here. You'd give us the continued grace to live out what it means to follow you in this world with all sorts of pressures that can come from peer pressure and maybe work and other things going on in our culture. I pray for the grace just to walk with integrity in that, 
Lord, knowing that you're with us in it, that you're going to give us the wisdom that we need to conduct our lives in a way that points people to you, and you'll give us the grace together as church family. And I pray that. Build us together. We belong to one another, not a sort of loose affiliation, but a deep commitment and deepened relationships. And I pray keep deepening those in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All over to you, Eve.